The following is a message of First Baptist Richardson. For more information, please visit fbcr.org. Great to be with you again. This, this is four weeks in a row. You guys, you uh, have endured me, so praise the Lord for that. It's good to be with you. Uh, Sandy and I know whenever we come to First Baptist Church, there's several things going to happen. We're going to have great fellowship, always going to have great music, Josiah, Andy, what a great time of worship today. And then today we're getting food. Yeah, I mean, hallelujah. And uh, two or more Baptists are together. We eat, okay? And uh, uh, we like to do that. But also today, uh, this message is going to prepare us for the taking of the Lord's table, the Lord's Supper. And I pray that you'll spend this time today uh, uh, getting your heart ready. But open your Bibles, if you would, uh, to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter number 18, we're going to delve into a, another one of these uh, gems that we find in the scripture. And uh, this one today is probably, uh, of the 50 or so parables in the Bible, may be the most captivating. And the reason why it captivates me is because it is so current that I see it is dealing with a need that is so much a part of our lives today. You say, well, Gary, is it eschatology, the coming of Jesus, what's going on in Israel? Is it about that? Well, that's important, but it's not that. Well, is it about money? Because every one of us today see inflation and economic times and where they are. We don't know where things are ever going. And uh, could it be about money? Is that so current? Well, no, it's not about eschatology or it's not about money. Listen to what it's about. It's about the issue of forgiveness, the issue of forgiveness. And the reason why it's so current is because every one of us in this room, uh, I, I believe, have relationships that are broken. And there's some things that have occurred that has broken that relationship. And, and the only way you can avoid that is move to West Texas and get you 100 cows and 160 acres and, and uh, live with the cows and grow a garden or maybe become a hermit in some mountain anywhere. Because the reality is, is as long as you and I have all these relationships, relationships in our family and relationships at work, relationships in our neighborhood, relationships all over us, there's going to be these opportunities for those relationships to become broken. And this Bible that we study has a lot to say about forgiveness and about relationships. Of course, Louis XII of France said it this way. He, he dealt with bad relationships this way. He says, nothing is so sweet as the aroma of the dead body of your enemy. All right. Now, we can feel that way about people who wrong us, but that's not what the Bible says we are to do. That the Bible says as we live out these relationships, uh, that we are going to have to continually be dealing with forgiveness and learning how to forgive. And we need to understand that as we look at this text today, this is a text, but the idea of forgiveness and forgiving others is all over the Bible. Uh, you, you can hardly go to a book of the Bible that there's not a lot said about forgiveness. When Jesus did the Sermon on the Mount and he did the Lord's Prayer, part of the Lord's Prayer, he had, Lord, forgive us our sins, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And there's only, that's the only part of the Lord's prayer that he expanded upon. In the next couple of verses says, for as you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive you. 
And so you find it's central to all that is happening in the scripture. Uh, Paul says in Colossians 3 that we are to forgive. How, to what degree are do we forgive? He says we are to forgive as Jesus has forgiven us. And the standard that the Bible has for us in that arena is not how we feel, not the measure of how we've been wronged, but it is the measure of how we have been forgiven. And we find that in Matthew chapter 18. Now, I know you've gotten comfortable and I don't ever want you to be comfortable. So would you stand and let's honor the word of God, all right? They said the preacher's job is to afflict the comfortable and make comfort to the afflicted. And so I want you to stand with me. Well, Peter, verse number 21, Matthew 18. Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times. And Jesus said, I do not say to you seven times, but how many? Seventy times seven. Now, by the way, my mother-in-law was a, went to be with the Lord a year and a half ago. She was a great theologian. And I preached on this one time and she said to me, she said, you know, Gary, I've discovered that that 70 times seven may not be separate instances. It may be the same situation that we have to forgive over and over and over and over again. And well, what did Jesus say? Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one of them brought to him, owed him 10,000 talents. Now, 10,000 talents is the largest figure that you could have. It, it just talked about an unlimited amount of money. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold, his wife and children, all they had in payment be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me. I'll repay you everything. And out of pity for the master, the servant released him and forgave his debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him just a penance, about a hundred denarii, and he seized him. He began to choke him and saying, pay me what you owe. So the servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience and I'll pay. But he refused. And he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When the fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were distressed. They went and reported this to their master and all that had been taken place. And the master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debts. So my heavenly father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. You, you may be seated. This text is set in a context of this 18th chapter where Jesus is talking about relationships. Uh, earlier in that chapter, he, there was questioned and spoke about what you would do if, if someone has wronged you and how you would go about reconciliation. Well, Peter, probably the one he needed to forgive the most might have been his brother, okay? Anybody who's got a brother has to deal with forgiveness all the time, all right? That's just the way brothers operate. Well, Peter came to him and said, hey, uh, how many times do I forgive this person? Do I do it seven times? Now, by the way, so you would know in the Jewish law or the Jewish system, they only required three times. So when Peter came to him, Peter kind of thought Jesus is going to say, well, way to go, Peter. Seven times. That's really great. But what Jesus was saying to him, Peter, no matter what it is, no matter what it takes, that if you do not forgive, you're going to live in a prison. 
a prison that you have created for yourself, a prison and a place, a, a place where there will be such agony in your life. And you need to understand that if you want to stay out of that prison, you have to learn how to forgive. Now, as you look at this text, multiple times it uses the word forgive. Let's just delve into that word quickly. It it is a word that was used in the financial world of erasing a debt. And it means if someone forgives, they erase, they release them from the debt. There's no more obligation. It is a word that speaks about letting something go. It speaks about releasing something and, and, and leaving something in the past. One of the best illustrations I've ever heard was by R.T. Kendall in his great book on forgiveness, total forgiveness. He said it's like taking, being next to a river and taking a little boat and putting that boat in the water and letting it go away from you. And that forgiveness is exactly that. Now, as he did in his book, and by the way, if you want to read a great theological book on forgiveness, read R.T. Kendall's book, Total Forgiveness. But in that book, he talks about the fact that there's a lot of misunderstanding about forgiveness. A lot of times, the reason why we don't succeed in this area is we don't understand it. And there's some, in the beginning, some things that Jesus did not say whenever he spoke about forgiveness. First of all, he told us that it didn't always guarantee reconciliation. You need to know that the early part of Matthew 18 speaks about how to be reconciled, but it gets down to the end of that and said, if it does not happen, if you can't settle that, what you are to do, what he's saying right here is if you decide to forgive someone, it will not guarantee they will be reconciled to you. There may be some reason that person may have passed on, person may live far away, that person may not accept it, that person may not want to talk about it, and it doesn't guarantee that you're going to be reconciled to that person. Another thing is it does not mean we are to act as if it did not happen. One of the worst things in a conversation about forgiveness is to just say, that's all right, to kind of dismiss it. That's not what forgiveness is about. Forgiveness is dealing with the fact that some people can wrong us deeply. Some people can harm us deeply. Some people can do things to us that are unconscionable. And and as we look at it, forgiveness is not just acting as if it never happened. What happened to us in that situation could have inflicted some long-term pain in our lives that we need to deal with. So it does not mean we just forget it and say, well, just don't worry about it. No, forgiveness involves dealing with what's happened. Another thing that we don't understand about forgiveness is that sometimes we don't want to acknowledge the pain. Let's just be honest. There's been some times in our lives, in your life, that someone's done something to you that was very painful. And I think if we think forgiveness is never acknowledging that pain, we will never get to the depths of what it meant to forgive that person. But then another thing it is not, it is not stopping the consequences. I think there's a misunderstanding here because some people think that if you're going to forgive someone that they should never suffer any consequences for what they've done. In reality, there could be some legal ramifications of what they've done. There should be some punishment that is deserved for what they've done. And it does not mean that we say there should not be any consequences. Even in the arena of debt, there are times that somebody needs to suffer the consequence of what they have done to us. And so what we need to understand is that, that, that in our system or in our process of forgiveness, there's some places we don't need to go. 
It does not just mean we erase that memory and try and go on. That memory may stay with us the rest of our lives. But the issue is, is how do we deal with it? Well, that's what Jesus did in this Matthew 18 parable. In this hidden gem, he dug down into that scripture and tell us some things about forgiveness. The first thing is he wanted us to know it is a clear command in scripture to forgive. He said in this text, you should forgive. You should be a person who learns to let those things go. You should be a person with the spiritual depth to be able to deal with that. And he says to us in this text, I'm not giving you alternatives to forgiveness. I'm telling you how to forgive. And the reality would be today, if we do not forgive, we are disobeying God. And when we disobey God, we always suffer the consequences. And Jesus wanted to reinforce to us that if we live our lives with an unforgiving attitude, what will happen to us? We will live in a prison created for ourselves that we have created because of a lack of spiritual response to what has happened to us. Someone has said, not forgiving, is in thinking it's going to harm that other person. It's like taking a dose of poison every day and thinking it's going to impact the person who produced the poison. Who it impacts is us. And that is why Jesus gave no alternative to our relationships in life but to learn how to forgive. But then also, he wanted us to recognize that a lack of forgiveness dramatically impacts our fellowship with God. Now, by the way, it never, it never changes our relationship with God. Our relationship with God is established the moment we give our lives to Jesus Christ. That can never change. That is secure in heaven. We believe in, in, in the fact that a believer is secure until he dies. But what it does impact is our fellowship with God. Just like my relationship with Sandy in marriage. We are married till death shall part us. That is something that never changes. But when one of us does something in our relationship that impacts our relationship, it undermines the fellowship and it undermines the relationship. What it does to us in forgiveness is it takes away the joy of our relationship with God. It says in these various texts, if you will not forgive, you will not be forgiven. Now, again, that's not dealing with salvation because that is established the moment we receive Jesus. But what it deals with is our ability to experience that salvation. And that is why many people today lack the joy of a relationship with God because they are not experiencing that relationship because of broken relationships with other people. And the fact they've not settled it within their heart and learned how to forgive. And what happens then to that person is that person becomes imprisoned by that lack of forgiveness. And that imprisonment about the lack of forgiveness is something that destroys them spiritually, even though they are a child of God and know Jesus as our Savior. You say, Gary, what is the center point of that? Well, I think the center point is the issue of pride. When we will not forgive someone, what we say is, you're worse than me. What you have done is worse than anything I've ever done. And I'm not like you when we repeat somebody's story of how they've wronged us. You know what we're saying to the people around us? We're saying to the people around us, well, think how bad they are. I'm not that bad. And a lack of forgiveness in reality is an act of pride. And what does the Bible say to us about pride? God resists the proud. 
and you want to destroy your fellowship with God, just don't forgive. What you'll discover is out of that pride of not forgiving, God himself will push you away in that fellowship. And the reason why you experience dryness in your relationship with God is not because of what church you go to or what music you listen to or or what kind of sermons you listen to. It's because of the fact your soul has become imprisoned to that lack of forgiveness. R.T. Kendall in his book describes it as like a cancer physically. Those of us who've known anyone who's had cancer know how cancer takes away the vitality of the body, takes away the energy of the body, how it impacts the body's ability to function. And a person with cancer, when you hear that C word, they immediately know they're going to experience some diminished ability to live their life physically. Well, guess what? A lack of forgiveness is a cancer to the soul. And what it does, it destroys the vitality of our relationship with God. It destroys the joy that ought to come out of that relationship with God. It destroys the ability to experience His grace and mercy. And it's not that it's not available to us. We have blocked it off because of our unwillingness to forgive other people. But then also, our willingness to forgive reflects Jesus to others like nothing else we do. Our unwillingness to forgive or our willingness to forgive is a reflection of our real relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's done in front of others. I like it in this parable that none of this was done in secret. Everyone watched this man who had been forgiven so much deal with somebody who didn't owe them that much. And and when they saw him acting, they went immediately to the master. If the truth be known, Those closest to you and me know when we forgive or don't forgive. Those who watch us live every single day, our children, our grandchildren, our neighbors, our best friends, our coworkers, they look within our soul and they see what's going on. And I'm convinced that one of the ways God operates within our life in his sovereignty is many times to allow us to be cast into situations that require us to forgive that person. Not because God wants to harm us or punish us, but do you know what he wants to do? He wants to show himself to the world. He wants to show the magnitude of the gospel to the world. Now, he can do it many ways. You can do it by preaching, do it by singing, do it by going down the street and witnessing to people. Let me tell you a primary way he wants to show himself to the world. It's in the spiritual work that he does in the life of a believer. There's folks today that you want to walk with God that know you, that you want to be saved today. Could it be the greatest gospel message God has ever wanted to give? So let that person watch you and me have to live out the attitude and actions of forgiveness. But what begins to happen in that church, that situation Our lives become a witness, a life that is powerful. It's more than just words now. It is something living out of our heart. That's why he talked about forgiving from the heart. It's because what happens to us is as we deal in these human relationships and people watch us deal with these human relationships, what people see is the reality of our hearts. And I'll just be honest with you. You can preach all the sermons in the world, sing all the songs in the world, do all the church work in the world. But I want you to know your greatest witness 
may be that experience of God leading you through the process of forgiveness. And as he does that, people watch that fellowship with him come alive and be something that, that, that is miraculous. I can remember in my own life, not many years ago. Well, this probably been 15 years ago, but that just seems like yesterday nowadays. I was going through some dry times spiritually in my life. And one of the things that Fielder allowed me to do and my precious wife is about every three or four months to get away to four or five days of prayer and spiritual introspection. And I was in the process, by the way, of reading R.T. Kendall's book, Total Forgiveness. And I'll never forget, I was down at Galveston, there walking along the water one day and contemplating what he had said to me in that book. That the reality is, is we will never get beyond spiritually where we are in our willingness to forgive others. Because our willingness to forgive others really speaks about how we feel about the gospel. That if we ever want to have an impact on the kingdom of God in the world around us, we got to learn to forgive because we'll never get beyond that. And I said, well, Lord, uh, can you just show me some places, people that I've not forgiven? It's amazing to me how God just very quickly responded to that. And I began to write names, people and couples, people I'd worked with in the denomination and folks that I'd retained a bitter spirit. You know how I knew I retained a bitter spirit? Because I was very quick to tell their story. Of maybe what they'd done to me or what they'd done in some other place. And I'll never forget the experience of looking at that list and recognizing that if I don't forgive, I better get out of the ministry. Because you can't train up a preacher good enough to preach a sermon with a filthy heart. I'll never forget the experience of taking that list and making a fire and taking that list and putting that list of people in that fire and watching it burn up and promising the Lord, Lord, I'll never address that again. I'll never address what they did to me again. I will forgive them from the heart as you have forgiven me. What it also meant is the days ahead, I, I would have to learn how to bless them even when I didn't want to bless them. But God wanted me to take that issue of forgiveness to that place. I want you to know today, God wants to do something in and through you. And it will never, 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 never get beyond your willingness to forgive and release people from what they have done to wrong you. What you see out of this is in reality, forgiveness is a choice. It is a choice for every one of us in this parable. The master had to choose to forgive 10,000 talents. That guy had to choose to not give up 100 denarii. And today, nobody can make you and me forgive. It's a choice that each one of us have to choose. And what we're doing is we're either choosing a life in a prison, a life encompassed by what somebody's done to wrong us, and a life filled with a vengeful spirit, desire to get back, desire that that person's story would be known to those closest to us so they would know how bad they are. We can live in that prison if we want, or we can choose instead of living in that prison to learn how to forgive. You say, well, Gary, sometimes I don't feel like forgiving. I have never felt like forgiving. You see, imagine that forgiveness is like a train. The engine to your life 
is the act of forgiveness. The caboose is the feelings. If you wait upon good feelings towards somebody, you'll never forget. Because the devil's really good at bringing them around you and around me so that we would remember what they've done. See, what we have to do is learn how to make the choice to forgive. You say, Gary, where does that choice come from? One other statement, and I'll conclude. The idea of forgiveness is based upon, listen to this, our understanding and experience of forgiveness. Let me say that one more time. Our forgiveness of others is not based upon how we feel. It's not based upon some church rule or some Bible law. It grows out of our understanding of the gospel. And to understand there was a day in our lives when we were lost and undone, unable to save ourselves, a sinner that the Bible calls Jesus, God calls us at enmity with him. And that gospel was changed our lives as we as sinners cast ourselves upon the Lord. And at that moment, he saved us and brought us into a relationship with him. It wasn't about him taking a good person and making them better. It's taking a lost person bringing them to salvation, taking someone condemned to hell, taking them to have the gift of heaven, someone who had no part of God within their life, moving to the place of a relationship with God. And the more that we dig into that and experience that, the more we'll recognize how gracious it was that God forgave us. Therefore, It becomes much easier to extend that grace to other people. The reality is, is the more we experience grace, the more we will be willing to give away that grace. The reason why that we should constantly be thinking about the gospel and what it means is it becomes the basis by which we live out our lives, but especially the basis by which we learn how to forgive other people. We need to understand that the reason we study this book is not because we're great people. It's because we're people who need to know about God. We need to know about what this salvation means. Therefore, the more we learn about it, the more then we're willing to give it away to other people. Let me close with this story, if I could, please. It's a story that was lived out in our church at Fielder several years ago. In the mid-90s, a man in our church named Jim Buffington came to me and told me one of the most awful stories I've ever read in my life. And he eventually wrote this book, Betrayed by Choices. You see, the man on the left with his dad. His dad was the worship leader at his church. His mother on the right. How do you like that hairdo, girls? Okay. Uh, could have a beehive in there. All right. Okay. She was the church organist discovered that he had been unfaithful to her and she divorced him when Jim was 11 years old. And his two brothers were visiting an aunt and got word that his mother had been brutally raped and murdered. Well, after a few weeks of investigation, the uh, court system, police came back and accused his dad of hiring two men to kill his mother. Well, Jim said, my dad's not like that. He loved his dad. That couldn't have been that way. 
And so very quickly, they went about defending their dad and trying to get their dad out of that. Their dad would never do anything like that. Well, eventually, his dad was convicted of uh, hiring someone to murder his mom. But Jim didn't believe that. In fact, about 12 years later, they discovered that the prosecuting attorney in San Antonio, where this took place, had falsified evidence in this trial to find his dad guilty. And what they were beginning to do, they gave him another trial and they were one day from getting back together and the judge letting him out of jail and saying it's enough time served. But Jim was curious as a young man about his dad, about the trial. He went to see his dad in prison. Jail said, Dad, I don't understand, began to ask him questions. Questions that began to irritate his dad and began to upset his dad. Finally, his dad just shouted to him, I did it, I did it. And she deserved it. Of that moment, Jim and his brothers had worked for his dad's acquittal. Went immediately to the judge. To say, you can't let my dad go. My dad hired two men to kill our mother. To do brutally what they did. And so they sentenced his dad back to prison. And Jim began a journey of how he responds to a dad who's done something that awful to his wife and to his children. Jim began to notice that his lack of forgiveness began to be bitterness. Desiring his dad would stay in jail as revenge rather than just justice. Then Jim began to see it was affecting his marriage with Marilyn. Began to see in his son Bryce... An attitude that he didn't like. And he began to realize it was all rooted in the fact that Jim, the oldest son, had not forgiven his dad. Came to see me and we talked about it. Jim made the journey down to Huntsville Prison to look his dad in the eye and tell his dad, I forgive you. Now, it didn't mean he felt like his dad ought to get out of prison. He just knew he was living in the prison of what his dad had created. And while his dad was at Huntsville, the reality is the Buffingtons were the ones living in the prison of unforgiveness. And Jim was able to, in that moment, release his dad from that experience and say, Dad, I forgive you in the conversation. His dad tells him about what happened to him in prison, how in prison his dad had come to know Jesus as his Savior. And they talked about the Lord and had fellowship in the Lord. But Jim still didn't think he ought to get out of prison. He did something against the law. He should stay there. Left that prison. A few days later, got a call from Huntsville that his father had died suddenly of a stroke. And Jim knew that his dad was guilty in man's eyes, but not guilty in God's eyes. Then he got a call from the warden at Huntsville Prison. He said to Jim, Jim, in the history of the prison system in Texas, especially Huntsville, we have never allowed there to be a memorial service for one of our prisoners who died. But we want to have one for your dad. So Jim and his wife and kids and brothers and their families gathered in that 300-seat chapel there at Huntsville for a service for his dad. He wondered how many people would be there for he knew it place was packed, standing room only. Got through and 
they, his dad had actually had been the choir director for their church and had developed a choir at prison, and the choir sang the songs that his dad had taught him. And then one by one, Jim was standing there. Those men walked by, looked him in the eye, and says, Today, I know Jesus Christ because of your dad and the impact he had on my life. What does God do with forgiveness? God takes people who hire murderers and transforms them. But he also takes you and me in our relationships to teach us that he doesn't want us to live in that prison. He wants us to be released. It's only going to be released as we learn to forgive. A little sidelight to it. Jim began to get involved in a prison ministry fielder called Bridges to Life that helps prisoners. There's an 80% of people who get out of prison go back to jail. You go through Bridges to Life, 80% don't go back. Five years ago, Jim left a very lucrative position in the business world to become president of Bridges to Life and has now expanded that all over the country. And he speaks to prisoners and to families of prisoners and to victims about the joy of forgiveness and how it releases the soul when we make the choice of a willingness to forgive. Would you bow your head, please, for just a moment? This morning, I know that as I have dealt with this very sensitive issue, that it possibly touched some very serious and sensitive places in your life. Places I don't need to go to, but you need to go to. And to be willing to walk the journey of forgiveness. One, for your sake. Then for those around you's sake. More importantly, for God's sake. It's a choice. It's a choice Satan hates. Because he loves to imprison us to the bondage of a lack of forgiveness. Would that person's face come to your mind right now? That you need to forgive. Would you even be willing to open your hands? And release them into the hands of God. No, tell them what God might want to do. Won't guarantee reconciliation, but it'll guarantee your freedom and the great work of God within your life. Take a moment. Take a moment and say, I forgive. I let go. I release this person. Father, thank you so much for the gospel that, Lord, it changes us from the inside out for your glory. Do that work in our lives today.
In Jesus' name I pray, amen.